when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everybody, let's take a deep inhale and exhale. Welcome to our episode about anxiety. Anisa? Yes. <laughs> Do you think of yourself as an anxious person? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Tell me more about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I've always been very, like, a, a go-getter and a perfectionist and, like, kind of neurotic. But I feel like it wasn't until after college. Like, I feel like in college I thought of those as just, like, helpful strategies for being a successful student and like they all felt very adaptive and it wasn't until I got out of school and I was in the workplace and there was more defined structure to my day and times of the day where I felt like oh everyone else is going home and like letting go I should be doing that too and I would go home and I'd be in my apartment with my roommate who was a good friend Hannah at the time and I would still feel like my brain was like spitting in a million directions Hmm. and like I couldn't let go of the sense that there was always something more I should be doing that, like a better way for me to be doing the things that are done that day. So it's both a combination of like constant rumination and constantly trying to make things better. Mm. Um, the the thought patterns are very similar, if not sort of more debilitating now because there's an added sense of responsibility when you're no longer just responsible for like yourself and your schoolwork. And I think my anxiety has been a huge reason why I've always said like, oh, I'm not going to go back to grad school. Because I attribute, like, school as being, like, With the, the place the that's super triggering. But I think as I've, like, gone and tried multiple jobs and different things in my professional life, I've realized the anxiety just comes right along with me. <laughs> just <laughs> wants to hang out. Uh, how about you? I, gosh, I, I guess I am an anxious person these days. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like my, the way I think about my relationship with anxiety is that I wasn't an anxious adolescent. I wasn't an anxious high schooler. And I really kind of cruised through college relatively non-anxiously, but it was after college when maybe there wasn't a direct sort of thing for me to know how to live my life or what to do with my life that I started getting that. And I always did have a sense of general anxiety about things I couldn't control 
my mother used to send me <laughs> uh, emails and newspaper clippings of all these tragedies that happened to young women. <laughs> and so I always had sort of a disproportionate fear of being um, murdered or kidnapped or burglarized or raped or <laughs> um, killed or paralyzed in a car accident. <laughs> <laughs> truly. I mean, truly, it was it was something I thought about like pr- pretty often. But when it comes to work specifically, um, I'm I guess I'm constantly wondering, am I showing up enough or am I doing things the right way or am I going to like ruin something? And so it's really easy for me to not be sure of how I'm doing in a lot of different realms of my life, not just work. And then that leads me to this spiral of insecurity and negative self-talk and confusion. And it all just sort of builds on itself. So that's my relationship. So with anxiety. we have some, we have some serious questions about anxiety. We do. Um, and we are thrilled to have uh, an anxiety expert in the studio today. Lillian, welcome to She and Her. Thanks. It's great to be here. (laughs) And Lillian is not just an anxiety expert. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you have a lot of anxiety, but we don't mean it in that way. We mean (laughs) an actual scholar of anxiety. So we are most certainly excited to have you here. That's so generous. Thank you. So what is anxiety? How would you define it? That is a great question. So when I think of anxiety... I think of it being a totally natural, safe, evolutionarily adaptive response to the perception of threat. And the reason I say perception is because oftentimes there may not be real or actual threat, right? This is something we've created um, in our minds. Maybe it's based on something we've been told. Maybe it's a fear of the unknown, but it's not always something we can pinpoint. And I think that's part of what can make it so troubling. So there's this big umbrella anxiety that we're talking about, and then you sort of say there's clinically significant anxiety. So what are the different types of anxiety to start us out? Yeah, yeah. So different diagnoses. I think one thing that's helpful to think about um, is this distinction between when it's kind of normative or something most people would experience versus when it's clinically significant. And when we think about something that's um, might mirror a clinical diagnosis, we're talking about when there's um, impairment or dysfunction associated with anxiety. So when it's getting in the way of you doing the things you value, um, when you're not able to show up to work as you'd hoped, when it gets in the way of relationships um, or, you know, goals that you might have for yourself, that's when we would probably say it's more of a disorder than something that is helpful. And will you talk about how it manifests, the different ways that it impacts individuals. Yeah, yeah. So some main ways, I think it's helpful to think about the impact on a cognitive level, on a physical or physiological level, and also on a behavioral level. So if you think about cognitions, your thoughts, what's going through your head, it could be thoughts, I can't handle this. It could be thoughts of self doubt. It could be thoughts related to catastrophizing or imagining the worst case scenario of something, um, what you fear might happen. And oftentimes we're making some kind of miscalculations there, some overestimates, thinking that something is either more likely to happen than it actually is, or that if it did happen, it would be much worse than we actually you know, know to be true. On a physiological level, these symptoms show up differently in all different people. It could be 
sweating, sweaty palms, blushing. Um, it could be, you know, your heart's racing, you're feeling short of breath. Um, things that, again, could be evolutionarily adaptive if you're trying to flee from a lion or tiger that's chasing you. Not so much when you're trying to go on a first date or, like, you know, talk to friends, whatever it might be. And then that last area, the behaviors, the things we do, um, people understandably try and avoid situations that make them anxious, try and escape or flee from responsibilities associated with anxiety. It might even mean, you know, putting off going up for a promotion if um, that higher level job would involve lots of public speaking, for example. Um, all of those things can, can show up. Why do you think so many people are anxious? Uh, there's so much to be anxious about. You know, literally <laughs> anything you name, someone could have um, anxiety about it. Um, I think it comes from a lot of different places. I think aspects of our environment, in the media and other things kind of instill fear in certain ways, give us things to worry about. And those aren't only imagined. Like, those are very real worries that people have to deal with, with health and finances. Um, we get lots of messages, or at least I did, um, you know, growing up or from people around us about things to consider or standards that we should meet. Those can make us feel like we're not measuring up. We're not, you know, maybe we're inadequate. Um, so some of those beliefs could be self-imposed, could come from others. You know, again, I've mentioned the evolutionary components several times, but I think it's there for a reason. It's a system that when working well, can stop us from crossing the street when a car is running a light. Um, but it's like modern; the modern world yeah. has just changed the way that system is used in our body. Exactly, and it's like not helpful, at least not all the time. Right. Yeah. So right. that's the question I have then: is that how, if anxiety is helpful and adaptive sometimes, and not others, how how do you draw the distinction? Because I guess for me personally, I I do feel like I have an inherent belief that like if I don't, if I'm not thinking about something actively, mm -hmm. I may forget about it and then it may not get done and X, Y, Z. Yeah. Maybe you're imagining the worst case of what's going to happen. Right. Worst case scenario yeah. or like I'll look stupid in front of everyone because I'll have forgotten something. So yeah. there's like this inherent belief I feel behind a lot of my ruminations that it is important for me to be thinking about this. Like yeah. ultimately that will serve me. Yeah. And so it's it can totally be motivating. And actually what you may be referring to is this notion of positive beliefs about worry, um, where some folks to varying degrees hold stronger beliefs about how helpful anxiety could be. So maybe you're thinking, you know, if I've worried about it, it means I'm prepared. And that can serve you really well. Um, that also can kind of perpetuate itself in a cycle where then you do maybe over-prepare before certain things, the thing goes well, and then when it does go well, you attribute that to, well, it's mm. because I was worried before, <laughs> right? And so it totally reinforces all the effort and energy that you put into that thing. Um, there's no chance for you to learn, maybe I would have been okay if I hadn't prepared as much, right? Really, there's no chance to... Um, disconfirm any of those feared uh, sure. beliefs from coming true. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's pivot. Let's do it. What can we do about this? Uh, How <laughs> is anxiety treated? Give us the <laughs> the shortest distance to no longer being anxiety. anxious. <laughs> so I wish I could wave a magic wand and make it all different. Um, folks will come in and say, I just don't want to be anxious anymore. And I think 
the news that they may not want to hear is that I really don't think that's possible. I think something we can all work on instead of um, trying to get rid of anxiety or control anxiety or guarantee that we'll never feel anxious is working on tolerating or accepting anxiety, practicing uh, living with anxiety, allowing anxiety to show up, and still moving in the direction of things that we want to do. That being said, there are lots of empirically based, uh, you know, evidence-based treatments that do exist for anxiety. First steps would be kind of addressing the, those unhelpful thoughts that swirl around with anxiety, as well as the behaviors that get in the way of us learning, like, hey, it's probably going to be all right. You're probably going to survive. I think lots of broader skills that can help to like center yourself, meditation or distress tolerance skills that you can kind of learn in the moment. Um, maybe it's some temporary distraction or um, trying to channel a different emotion than the emotion of anxiety or guilt that you're feeling can be really powerful. That being said, they are things that take a lot of practice and don't come easily. So I would hope that folks aren't discouraged if you don't feel immediate relief. These are things that require a lot of consistent effort. That's Lillian Raymond. She's a graduate student and therapist at UNC Chapel Hill who specializes in OCD and other anxiety disorders. Next up is a conversation that I had with my sister Lizzie, who is a librarian in Maryland. Lizzie has lived with anxiety for as long as she can remember. And after Thanksgiving this year, she and I went to our studio to record a conversation about how her anxiety has evolved over time. I think... It's fair to say that we both have anxiety. Mm-hmm. You think that's fair to say? I think that, well, what I would say is that I am, and I don't think I ever will be comfortable saying I think you have anxiety to anyone because I think that that kind of self-assessment is very personal. Um, I think that both of us have definitely suffered anxiety at points in our life, if not continually throughout I think that my system is just generally set at a higher natural level in a lot of ways. And that means that there is just a sense of being anxious and finding reasons to be anxious in a lot of different scenarios. And has that been something that you felt your whole life? Totally. Ever since I was a little kid, I definitely was a kid who was worried about fitting in probably at a more intensive level than my peers. Though, you know, puberty and childhood is not always easy for anybody. Right. And I think I definitely was more introverted because of it. Um, I mostly remember just feeling very out of place when I wanted to make friends and I thought my classmates were super awesome. I was really lucky to go to school with a lot of really great people and I just remember feeling like I couldn't figure out quite how to communicate and interact mm-hmm. with them. And how did that evolve through school? Sometime between seventh and eighth grade, I got really tired of feeling isolated and like I wasn't doing something right. And I kind of got mad about it. I got mad about feeling the way that I did. And I remember I made the decision, I'm going to go and interact with people. And if I screw up, then that's fine. If they don't like me, that's also fine. And if they have a problem with me, then well, that's their problem. And that really helped me push out of my own shell. Being comfortable with making that type of mistakes and 
understanding that it's not necessarily or not even understanding deciding that it wasn't the end of the world regardless of how it you know maybe was conveyed was a big turning point from a social perspective I just decided I was okay with making mistakes and if I screwed up I screwed up and I would have to be okay with that and that was very transformative because I think it gave me a power over my own nerves that I didn't have previously and I think because I didn't have the words for what I was experiencing I didn't talk about it to anybody because that would have been saying, well, I'm not I'm not a good kid because I feel this way or, you know, I am not where I should be, I guess, on the development charts, which is such an inane thing to be concerned about when you're a kid. But that's I think what anxiety does to you is it it makes you feel illogical. And when did you find the words to say, oh, this is this is what this is. This is what this is. Probably just in the past couple of years, to be honest, you know, over time, because I'm really far beyond seventh and eighth grade at this point in my life. I have had dips in and out of being more anxious and less anxious. And as you know, I transitioned jobs very recently, and it was a very tense time just from the perspective that there were a lot of things happening at once. I was moving several states. I was transitioning to a living situation in an area I'd never been before. The job that I took was sort of a brand new environment in a lot of ways. So I carried the anxiety of that experience out into life in a way that I didn't perceive it as being appropriate. Like I didn't need to worry about going downtown to chat with people and work with people. But I would have a heightened level of, I guess, systemic arousal. Like I was really on alert. I was nervous. I was sort of paying attention to my surroundings. I was not enjoying the situation that I was in in a way that I really can when I'm not Mm -hmm. feeling more anxious. And I... Went and did talk to somebody because I, I'm very comfortable doing that at this point and said, this is what I'm feeling. What's going on? And she said, well, you've got anxiety. That's what's that's what's happening. Um, I think that you're anxious. And let's talk about how to cope with it. I mean, was that an aha moment for you? It was an aha moment in that having a description for something that I've experienced all of my life instead of like I'm having a hard time transitioning into this job or I'm finding moving into this new area to be challenging. Can we talk a little bit about how I can put myself out there versus oh, this is a description of something that I have felt on and off my whole life. Wow, this has impacted me more than I thought it has. Wow. Yeah, it was very, it was transformational, pardon me, it was transformational in kind of an informative way. And it was also a little off-putting because to know that you have lived with this sensation for so long but haven't known what it is, is very challenging, or it can be. Can you describe what it feels like physically because I remember the first time I saw a therapist I'd had a panic attack Mm -hmm. and I went into the therapist I said I had a panic attack I've never had one in my Mm -hmm. life I'm here because I figure that means I need to talk to somebody (laughs) and she asked me to identify where it manifested Mm -hmm. in my body and I was like well my throat tightened and my hands started sweating and my chest got really tight What does it feel like for you? It's funny. I don't know if that's genetic or if it's just because we react in a similar way. A lot of it sits in my chest. In fact, I was in for what I thought was a severe asthma attack last year to my doctor. Um, My blood pressure was off the charts. They actually sent me in to see if I had a pulmonary embolism because my blood pressure was so high and I couldn't catch my breath. And when I was talking to my therapist, when I went in to see her, she said, well, that asthma attacks and panic attacks feed into one another. So it could have been one or the other. It could have been both. So my chest gets very tight. It feels as though, particularly in the area above my collarbones, like right where your esophagus feeds into your lungs, I couldn't get air past that point. 
I also feel very physically brittle, not necessarily when I'm having a panic attack, but when my anxiety is very high, um, my wrists and my hands feel very fragile. I feel very shaky. Um, and it is, it is a sensation that's almost a physical iteration of how I'm feeling mentally, like very fragile, as though if you poked me or if something that was a very normal stressor in life arose, I wouldn't be as well prepared to handle it as somebody whose settings were a little further down on the line. And what is, what's going on? What's the story you're telling yourself about yourself mm -hmm. in your head in those moments? Because I do have techniques to deal with it, there is less of a story these days than there used to be. Um, when it's very high, it comes back, which is there's something wrong with you. You're not interacting with the world correctly. You know, you're going to do something to screw up that's going to make the people you care about not want to spend time with you or be around you. You know, just there's something wrong. You're not enough. Mm -hmm. Um which is a very ugly lie to have your, your brain telling you. It's a horrible lie. All the time. Um, and I can recognize that. And this is what I've said to the therapist I'm working with, which is what frustrates me is even though I recognize it's a lie, my emotions don't. And that's where there's a really big problem is I can recognize what's going on. I mean, part of dealing with any type of uh, iterated settings in your brain, I think, is recognizing what reality is. But e if you can recognize reality... But you can't get your emotions to the point that your logical thinking brain is. That's hard. That's really hard. It's not fair to you. But even if you tell yourself you're not being fair to yourself, it doesn't mean you can get where you're supposed to be. Um, so that is, I think there's a real fragility of sensation there. And I've heard a friend of mine who has dealt um, during their life with depression, kind of describing depression as there's always these dragons whispering to you in your ears, these mythical creatures no one can see, telling you that the world is not what it is. And someone responded to them and said, well, anxiety for me is like dragons who you're always tiptoeing around in your own brain. What is going to make me feel this way again? And when I, they said that, I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Because when I'm dealing with anxiety and when I felt really bad, but I'm feeling better I'm always watching out for that next thing that's going to make me slide into the sensations again. Because you just feel so raw all the time. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like I always joke about this, and I think I've even joked about it on the show, but I kind of deal with catastrophic anxiety. Yeah, you catastrophize. I Absolutely. I catastrophize. That's mm -hmm. my go-to. There's some inadequacy stuff wrapped up in it, but... And I definitely catastrophize, too, because I think inadequacy stuff feeds into catastrophizing. It's like, I'm not enough, therefore this thing that is a ter more terrible happen. thing will happen. Yeah. 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 Um, and I always joke that that is rooted in how much of our mom was a worrier, uh -huh. I think. Mm -hmm. I know. I do think that probably impacted you because you were much more carefree than me as a kid. But for me looking back at my childhood and knowing that this is something that I've always dealt with it's it is it's innate it's just always been a part of me even when I was a kid do you talk to mom about your anxiety I do now I think mom and dad feel really bad that they didn't realize that this was a problem for me I think they feel very guilty both of them have apologized several times and I didn't know how to verbalize it and I don't think they would have known how to recognize that it wasn't just that they had an introverted kid so I will express like this is a this is a high anxiety day for me. I'm going to be acting or feeling this way. But I don't discuss kind of my history with it as much because that is not something I'm interested in is for them to feel terrible about it because I had no way to express where I was feeling. And I completely thought it was in my head when I was a kid. So 
I was actively trying to hide how I felt a lot of the time, which is awful to hear about just thinking about it. Like I would never want to hear one of my students had felt that way when they were younger. So I don't talk about that aspect with her. But I'm very comfortable saying, yeah, this was what this happened. And this was me dealing with with feeling anxious about it. And this is what I did. Um, And I think that that has I know that when it comes to some of the behaviors that follow anxiety, again, looking backwards, mom definitely tried to help. She would you know, she would say, well, I put my worries in a box in my head and I just put them down. Oh, my God. You tell me the same thing. (laughs) Anxiety doesn't let you do that. Anxiety is looking for the cracks in that box. Or if you put the box down, if you can actually put an issue down it's going to find something else to make you worried about. Like it's like whack-a-mole. You knock one down and it pops up again here. You can't just wrap it up in a box in the head. And that's one of the reasons I think it is so important to talk about this type of like, this is what I'm experiencing. This is how I'm dealing with it. This is what works. This is what didn't work. It didn't work for me. Doesn't mean it's not going to work for you. Oh, that, that worked for you. Well, that didn't work for me because just like every other thing, everybody's different and everybody reacts to you know the dealing with it techniques and probably dealing with it pharmaceuticals differently so your path is your path it's going to be different from my path that doesn't mean that where you are now is where you always have to be and I think that's one of the frustrating things too for a lot of people is unlike you know an illness that you recover from things like things might come back there are going to be years that go by and there have been that I haven't felt that way but there's always a moment when it comes back Wow, Lizzie, are you proud of yourself? I don't know that I would say I'm proud of myself. I'd say I'm grateful, I guess. Like, I'm proud that I am willing to go and ask for help. But that's not been much of a challenge for me. I'm, all, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good at saying, like, yo, I need some assistance here. Well, I'm proud of you. Oh, thank you very much. I mean, that you had the self-concept and individual wherewithal at the age you did to say, I'm not going to let this beat me. And then worked through it from that point forward is amazing to me. Well, thank you. I think it's a process for everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I do want to say one thing yeah. um, that my therapist did tell me for people who are listening for the first time. This was we were talking about different ways to deal with anxiety. And one of my questions was, I know this is sometimes medicated. What what is that? What does that look like? When should a person make that call? And one of the things she said was when it starts interfering with your life, when you can't do the things you want to do when you want to go to that party but you can't make yourself leave or when you go to that party but you're just miserable the whole time even though you really want to be there maybe that's time to talk to somebody about medicine when you are not experiencing anxiety Mm -hmm. what does that feel like it feels very joyous and I am much more mindful I am feel as though I am very competent shifting from task to task I'm not worrying about a task I finished as I move in my workplace to the next thing, I'm not carrying things home with me when I want to go home and relax. If I'm at a social event, my brain is with my friends and the people around me as opposed to well, what went wrong today that I should be doing better tomorrow. What do I need to worry about to prepare before I go in for this whatever in the next couple of days? I'm much more in the moment. And what I will say is I think that having anxiety and having dealt with that does make me appreciate much more those moments. I think that I really sharply feel joy and I really intensely feel friendship and I'm grateful for the things around me in a way that I might not have been if I didn't deal with moments in my life where I couldn't appreciate them.
last we have the moms. Do you think of yourself as an anxious person? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Not the answer you were expecting. Well, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> I think that I am a person that has anxieties at times, but I don't think of myself as an anxious person because I think of an anxious person as being someone who is anxious all the time. And I'm not. There are certainly times when I can start down a loop of being concerned about something, but it's like my asteroid fear. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this is a great example. This is a great example. Let's talk about this one. Okay. All right. Well, I... (laughs) (laughs) That and the super volcano. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. <laughs> yeah, very grounded in the natural world. Yes, Fascinating. Are. We'll have to unpack that later. <laughs> well, it's easy to unpack because <laughs> I, when I started thinking about that, I thought, oh my God, you know, this is terrible and they can't you start going down the rabbit hole of looking into things and reading and the internet can be your friend the internet cannot be your friend and the smithsonian channel could be your friend and the smithsonian channel can't but it's it's that i can spend time thinking about those things and worrying about those things about an asteroid hitting planet earth yes or absolutely the super volcano in the northwestern erupting and then yes yes absolutely erupting. you know yeah <laughs> yes those kinds of things mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's that, that's illogical mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense and those are the kinds of things where i can say very easily i have absolutely no control over that so hey come what may I do not think of myself as an anxious person, um, although I would say as I have got older, I am showing more and more concern, but I don't feel like I'm anxious. I don't lose sleep or I don't unduly worry about things, so no, I don't think I'm anxious. Well, what have you been anxious about lately or what gives you more concern these days? I think the the few things that make me anxious are when any of my children have problems. So 2016, I was a bunch anxious over you. I don't like too much unknown and being unsettled. That that makes me a little uncomfortable. But more than thinking about being anxious, I 
do many things to preempt getting anxious and feeling uncomfortable. I feel that I can, I, I walk a lot and I um, try to meditate a little bit. I'll definitely pray a little bit. I'll talk about it with dad if I can. I think what I'm trying to say is that voicing your anxiety to anybody helps. Yeah. Talking, not, not holding it inside. And I think that's the key. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us at sheandherradio.com, at sheandher on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much to Cameron Laws and Sam Gerwick for this amazing new music that has helped us jumpstart our third season. We're going to be taking a short winter break, but we will be back in January with new episodes, so stay tuned. Before we go, we're going to leave y'all with a little bit of homework. She and Her is an independent project and podcast that Anita and I work on in our own free time, and that means we have no budget for marketing, so we really depend on word of mouth. So what we're asking you to do is share this show with five friends who you think will enjoy it. It'll make a big difference for us, and we will be very grateful. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.